Hey guys, what is going on? We are in the zone. I'm here as always with Giancarlo Alino, Chris Martelli here. And today we're going to start it off with hoop. We're going to start off with the NBA. Alino, you know what? I say all the time, the NBA is just a roller coaster. It's a shit show, however you want to put it. Um, the top four seeds that have gotten the bye, they've been basically the top four teams all season. You have Denver, um, you know, you have Milwaukee. You have the Grizzlies and you have the Celtics. Those have been the top four teams basically all year. Uh, initial, what were your initial thoughts, Alino, on those four team seasons? We know they get the bye. Out of those four teams, I know a lot of people are not too high on Denver as going places, but do you see maybe Milwaukee or Boston being a team where you think about their season all year long? Is this Are these two teams the teams to beat? Yeah, I'll go with Milwaukee just because they've been here before. Boston, they've been here before, but it's going to come down to those two going against each other at some point because, like, Philly's lurking, but you don't know how consistent some of their guys will be. Like, Tobias Harris, I think, really needs to step up in this playoff round, and really uh, it's going to come down to him, I think, because Brooklyn's going to do really well defensively. And you're going to have Tobias Harris open a lot. He's got to nail his shots. He has to be that guy that you brought him in to be. Uh, last year, he was pretty good. But I think he got outplayed by Maxi And James Harden, I think, has improved a lot. So it, the supporting cast is going to have to show up for Philly if they're going to be that contender outside of the East. But I think right now, Milwaukee, Boston, uh, safe pick right now. Make no mistake about it, man. I've been saying since maybe last year. I remember when Boston – do you remember last year when they were basically 500 in January and then the rest of the way they were like the most unstoppable team that I can remember in recent memory? I'm looking here at this team in Milwaukee where all season long they've just been a, a, they've just been a machine. Like Giannis, to me, if Jokic and Embiid have not had the seasons that they've had, He's arguably the MVP again. And, you know, we all know that Giannis is a guy that's always going to stay humble. He's never going to, you know, boast his accolades. But this is a team where I look at, they did minimal, minimal. They got basically no acquisitions at the deadline. They kept it simple. You know, they still have Middleton. They still have Holiday. They still have Grayson Allen, Brooke Lopez. These are the same guys that helped them win the chip all those years ago. I think at one one side of the spectrum, Alino, you look at simplicity is probably the most important with some of these teams. And on the other side of things, you look at teams like Phoenix, you look at teams like Cleveland and the Knicks. They completely did a 180 in terms of transactions and, and who the hell they got. So, um, you know, we're going to quickly talk about the play-in. We're going to look at the series matchups here. I know they're still not officially confirmed. I do believe the Pelicans, if they win today, they could still climb all the way up to sixth. So, and that's unless the Clippers lose as well. But we're just going to look at it right here. Uh, we're going to start in the East. We got our Raptors taking on the Chicago Bulls in this playing game, Alino. We got DeMar DeRozan coming back to the six. What do you think about the Raptors season overall? I know it's been a little bit underwhelming at times. You know, we've seen some growth with Scotty Barnes, not maybe the greatest, but. What do you think about the Raptors' expectations here uh, with this game? And what do you think is going to happen with this franchise moving forward with uh, the rumors of Nick Nurse looming that he's departing? 
Yeah, it's going to be bittersweet here. Uh, the Bulls coming, and everybody loves DeMar DeRozan. So it's going to be one of those where it's like winning your end. So emotionally, this is going to be a big one for the Raptors and for DeMar to come in and prove that he's still got it, and he's going to have to send his former team packing. But in terms of the Raptors season, it's like I don't even think anyone – saw this coming in in February when they were like looking on the downward spiral. It seemed like I thought they would be tanking and going for the first overall pick. That didn't seem to be the case. And they worked their way up, found their way in limbo there in the East. And now they're in a plan where they have a chance to go in there and uh, maybe find themselves in Milwaukee. So it's going to be interesting, but I think Nick Nurse, he'll probably look at other offers. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the Lakers come calling again and uh, bring them aboard. But for the Raptors, it might be the best because they won the championship with him. He's been there since 2018 as a head coach, was assistant coach before that. So I think it's uh, positive if they go their separate ways. They can do it uh, and respectfully too. Everyone will give him a nice send-off on the way out because of what he brought to this team. So I don't have any problem if they decide to go their separate ways. Yeah, you know what? I agree with you completely. I think when we talked about it back in December, we're looking at this team and the status of their team and the rumors going into the deadline. And, you know, are we trading Trent? Are we trading Van Fleet? Are we trading everybody? You really had no idea. And then all of a sudden we started going on a winning streak. But for the most part, I'm pretty sure we're exactly at 500 on the year. I, I just I'm not upset with not tanking. Obviously, I said last week I don't believe in tanking specifically. I just think it's not good for any sport. But with this Raptors team, and you're just looking at there's just so many flaws to this team. I, I've just looked at it for the longest time. Alino, I love Van Fleet. I think he's a hell of a player, but we don't have a backup guard that can put up the stuff that he's been putting up. So when he has hip injuries, when he has back injuries, knee injuries, like. The, we need support, and I love Malachi Flynn. I think he's a great player, just not a guy that can average 12 to 14 points in a, in a in a season, right? So Gary Trent Jr., man, like he's not a bad player at all. His shot selection is terrible. He shoots way too much. Um, I remember, you know, I actually went to the game. They faced Indiana. This was about two weeks ago. They lost. Just OG Ananobi looked frustrated. He wasn't shooting the ball enough, wasn't getting the ball enough. It's just there's way too many guys on this team, I feel like, that want more than what they're getting. And it definitely affects the morale on the team. I'm not going to say this is a waste of a season. Don't get me wrong. I know we've seen Scotty Barnes elevate a little bit. Siakam is still, to me, almost an all-NBA player. But you're looking at, like, you're facing Chicago. You beat Chicago. You take on Milwaukee. What does that mean? I'm not going to maybe say sweep but probably five at the best. It's just, you look at how deep this draft is. I hope the Raptors trade up when the draft comes because they definitely need more help. Yeah, and you also look at, like, the East. I think they're actually, aside from, obviously, the Raptors in Milwaukee, which I love the Raptors and all. I just don't think their mentality right now and just the consistency will make me believe they can pull off an upset. Obviously, anything can happen, but I would favor Milwaukee uh, significantly in that if you're a betting person. But if you look at Cleveland and New York, I think that's a pretty fair series. That can go either way. Philly and Brooklyn, just because of the way Brooklyn's been playing, I don't know the star power, like a KD and Kyrie, but <laughs> defensively, that's a matchup where Philly's going to be tested a little bit. 
and uh, those could be two good ones. But I think the West, in terms of like a full playoff picture, I'm going to watch every single game there because every team there has a chance. Like, even if you're the Pelicans, let's see you get Zion back and you're going to be in there with uh, Memphis. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, the Pelicans were to beat Memphis. Even the Lakers, the way they're playing, I wouldn't be surprised there. And uh, you never know with OKC and Minnesota what they can do if uh, Jokic isn't playing well. But you look at the Golden State, Phoenix, that one's going to be fun. KD against uh, his former team there in Golden State. And the pick there, the team that's going to be the underdog, Sacramento, against Kawhi and the Clippers. So I think the West is fun. Like That should be a nice little TV rating for uh, whoever has the rights there, whether it's TNT or ESPN. Oh, yeah, and I'm excited because I got the Android box, so I'm going to be just flipping the channels like nonstop, man. But uh, I got to ask a question, too, because we're looking at the other playing around in the East, and you got two pretty good teams there. I mean, say what you want about Trey Young and how his morale with Atlanta has kind of fallen off over the last couple months, but, like, they still got John Collins. They still got Clint Capella. They still got Bogdanovich. Like, this is a team where when push comes to the shove, if their threes are connecting, they're a hard team to beat. And you look at Miami, I can't believe they're in the play. And this is a team where I thought they would easily be probably where Cleveland is, like 4-5 or five for sure with Jimmy Butler, with Tyler Hero, with, you know, even Kyle Lowry. I still think he had a lot more juice than anticipated and, I mean, Bam Adebayo, man, say what you want about him. Maybe he's not putting up a lot of offensive numbers, but what he does, like his two-way game is just flawless. But what are your thoughts on this one? I think when you look at Boston, um, they face the winner here. I, I just think – I know Boston is a team where you don't want to face them, but like if you're Miami, that's a pretty decent matchup against Boston. Do you think Miami could upset at Boston, or do you just think – like we mentioned before, like the, the, the Bucks and the Celtics are just a fucking oil machine at this point. Yeah, like if I'm even a TV network there, I'm just looking at this. There's some drama going on in the East right now because I'm going to kind of hope that Atlanta wins just for this sake. Atlanta <laughs> takes on Boston and the Raptors, if they beat Chicago, that's tomorrow. And then you got Kyle Lowry the next round, the one right after winning you go home. So. Just imagine the drama the networks could create. The Raptors take out two of the greatest players to wear their uniform, two of their long-standing loyal players, one after the other, and you can say, yeah, we ended their careers in the playoffs, and uh, we're going to send them packing and turn them into players at ring chase. Like The Raptors can turn this around into a win, even though they can get swept by Milwaukee, and they can actually feel good about themselves. If they take out DeMar in the first game and then go on and just absolutely destroy Miami and send them home. Obviously, this might not happen because Miami do have a better team on paper, but uh, this is a big game, I think. Big moment for Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam to really set themselves apart from the pack here. That would be crazy, man. That would be a huge narrative going into the playoffs. And, you know, we talked about it too, man. Like, you're looking at this playoff picture, and it looks so, so much fun. Like, the Knicks and the Cavs, to me, is a coin flip. I know the, the Cavs are heavy favorites. I saw on the lines already. It's like minus 180 to win the series, but I wouldn't cancel out the Knicks. Like Jalen Brunson, to me, I was laughing at his contract before the season, and 
of course, the guy always has to freaking prove me wrong and make me look like an idiot. So he averaged like 23 points a game. He should have arguably been an all-star with Julius Randle. You know me, man. I love RJ Barrett. I still think he's got a lot to give. Just this team is a they're terrifying, man. The, the Knicks are a team that I don't want to face. If I know they got Mitchell, I know they got, you know, Mobley and, and Jared Allen and then, you know, uh Connor Garland or no, what's it? Yeah, uh, Connor Garland or uh, sorry, Darius, whatever the fuck the guy's name is. Garland, <laughs> there's so many Garlands. Like, this team is good, but like, I'll you know, flip a coin in that one. I think that one goes to seven games 100%. You look at Philly and Brooklyn, like, <laughs> Brooklyn is definitely the team where I looked at this back in February. I'm like, they're gonna be bottom five in the league, and they just maintain that playoff. I don't know how, but. Like Mikkel Bridges Alino has been better than Harden and Kyrie when they were on Brooklyn. So I don't know what kind of system they're running, but it's working with Bridges, it's working with Johnson, it's working with Dinwiddie. But again, you're looking at Joel Embiid, who's probably been, in my honest opinion, the MVP the last like month. He's just been averaging 30 every game. I still think Philly wins it, but like Brooklyn's a team that, again, I don't want to face. And again, I said this, Ben Simmons, when he's out, Brooklyn's better off. So as long as Ben Simmons is out, Brooklyn's a team that's tough to beat. But then again, you look in the in the Western Conference, the play-ins. I mean, I said last week, if Dallas doesn't make it and OKC does, it's a joke. I guess it's a joke, man, because Dallas is now officially ruled out. You get Kyrie Irving, Alino. You gotta under, you gotta tell me what the hell happened here. Cause you get Kyrie Irving, you're expected to be at least a top six seed in the Western Conference. And just everything goes wrong. What do you think happened here with Dallas, man? Like to me, it's just a big fat mystery. Yeah, just look at the Knicks. Maybe it was Jalen Brunson who was a guy in Dallas, not <laughs> Luca. <laughs> but yeah, that's. I was actually surprised. Like when they got Kyrie, I thought this is a perfect fit. He's gonna come in. He's a skill player. He can do literally everything on the court. You have Doncic now. It's all this extra space. They can work off each other. Make a run here at a championship and. They don't even make the play-in, which is really surprising. So they're going to have to do a lot now in the offseason. And it was a trade I thought was going to serve them well for not just this year, but get Kyrie for another two years probably and build around those two. And now they're in a corner. And it's going to be tough with a conference like the West that's constantly evolving. Like Sacramento's only going to get better. And you're going to have teams like Memphis try to get better. Uh, Minnesota and OKC, like OKC, I think could be a dynasty in the next couple of years because all the first rounders they've got, and oh. it's going to be scary. So if you're Dallas, like you're backed in a corner. Uh, I didn't even think about this, but the Eastern Conference matchup there with Brooklyn and Philly, Ben Simmons has an opportunity to really get a one up there. And I know he hasn't played a lot, but this is a time that they get like they got to fire him up. Like, get a life coach, like, what that speaker, I don't know what the hell his name is, Tony, Rob, Tony Robbins, I think his name is. Fuck, bring him into the dressing room and just talk to Ben Simmons directly and uh, get the best out of him. Because I think this is something where his legacy, if he can just eliminate Philly, he can just retire after that. I think that would be a win for him. You know what? I do agree with that. I think, you know, if there is, like, if all the cards align perfectly and they have, you have Ben Simmons play and and dominate. Like, try at least try to dominate. I don't know yeah, if you will. 
yeah, shoot a three. Just do whatever you can to to just get Philly kind of on, like put them on on edge. Because like Ben Simmons has that talent. That's what pisses me off. He's he could be really good. It's just his injuries, his 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 mindset. I just I don't know. But I do like how you brought that up because it does come back full circle always. And the full circle moments, Alina, are always the best narratives. They always are. So. I'm, I'm rooting for Ben Simmons to come in here. And I, I mean, if Brooklyn eliminates Philly, I guarantee you something bad is going to happen in Philly. Whether Doc Rivers gets fired, Maxi leaves, something bad is going to happen in Philly because they are heavy favorites against Brooklyn. So, but, uh, you know, you know, I got to talk about the play-ins here. I mean, we got, we got the Timberwolves and the Thunder. Now, I mean, Carl Towns has been out for a long time. He just recently came back. Edwards, to me, is phenomenal. He is a guy that can definitely carry your team to success, maybe not win it all as of right now, but Edwards, to me, could easily be a top 10 player when he puts his mind to it. The season that Gilgis Alexander has had, if it isn't really for Laurie Markinen, who I think is favored to win the most improved player, I think Gilgis is the guy that should get that award now, specifically with them making the play-in. Because I said to you, like, this is a Thunder team where I thought they were going to be where the Wizards were, you know, where the Pistons were, like just bottom of the barrel. But here they are. They're playing for their playoff lives here against the Timberwolves. Do you think the Thunder could pull it off here? Or do you think Edwards and Towns are too much for this young team? I wouldn't be surprised just because of the way Gildress Alexander has played. But, like, I'm not too upset about them, like, going for this push for the play-in because like even though their first round pick won't be the first overall uh, even if they lose this they still have so many stockpiled where they can continue to grow as a team and draft like steals if they want to because they have so many opportunities so I think OKC like they're playing with host money type of thing here where next year they'll probably get Holmgren back and they'll have an opportunity to build around they can find out like Gildress Alexander they'll probably talk to him in the offseason and see if he really still wants to be committed to this. Uh, they could be successful. But what Edwards has been able to do with Minnesota, I think they have enough there uh, surrounding him where he can be successful. They can beat OKC. It's just that I'm surprised. Like, this is another team that fell off a bit. Like, last year, I think it was them in Memphis that really came on and could have been contenders at one point because of the way they shot the three, just how well-rounded they were. So, I'm surprised that Minnesota's in this spot. I think they should have been in the playoffs this year. I mean, hey, you're looking at that trade. When they traded D'Lo earlier on, man, you think, okay, this could either benefit Minnesota or benefit the Lakers, and it benefited the Lakers. Uh, you, know, you lose a guy like D'Lo, say what you want about him. He wasn't averaging a lot. He was averaging like 16 a game, but D'Lo's the type of guy that has ice in his veins, man. If he's going to start shooting those threes and they're going to connect – He's like, God, dude, he's played with Kobe. He's played with a lot of great players. And he's got that leadership quality that everybody, I think, underestimates in D'Lo. So D'Lo going to the Lakers when Davis was out, when LeBron was out, I think he was a guy that a lot of, I mean, the bench, Darwin Ham, all those guys kind of looked at him and said, okay, like, we got you for a reason. We got rid of Westbrook. Like, you're our point guard. You're going to be the guy that steers the ship here. And he has not disappointed. I watched the game the other night, Alina, we had a, I think he had a team high of 26. He shot like 8 of 12 from 3. Like, when D'Lo's going, 
it eases a lot of pressure off of Davis and LeBron. And I think even the way that Austin Reeves has been playing too, like this Lakers team is deadly, man. And I know Stephen A and Barkley and basically all of these ESPN writers, they always have a hard on for the franchises like the Knicks and the Lakers, but I got to agree with them, man. Like the Lakers are going to be a hard out. And I know they're facing the Pelicans. You got Ingram, you got McCollum, you got your boy JV, you got Zion potentially coming back. Who wins this one, man? This is going to be a hard-fought game, and I think whoever wins this and ends up going to maybe face Memphis, if I'm John Morant, I know you talk a lot, this is going to be the test of a lifetime because you're going to either be facing Zion, who wants to beat John Morant because they're, they're going to be forever linked, or you have LeBron James taking on John Morant, and we already know the feud that Dylan Brooks has created between the Lakers and the Grizzlies. Yeah, like... I think the Pelicans, if they have Zion back and he's healthy, I'm going Pelicans to beat the Lakers. And then that first round matchup is going to be fun because, you know, ego is going to get in the way of it. They both want to prove that they're the better guy. And I think surrounding cast, I think uh, the Pelicans, what we've seen earlier on the year, I think they can replicate that. Like if JV is in the paint there, he's also playing his former team. Like they traded him just to get Steven Adams, which I didn't really think made sense at the time, but, like Adams does fit in that starting lineup. He's just not that offensive threat that JV would be. So I think that's cancels out. You got Ingram there, McCollum. If McCollum's hot and starts getting threes all the time and he's just like on a roll, I think Memphis is going to have a hard time. Like you're going to have to have John Morant getting 40 a game like what we saw last year if you want to just be competitive because of how many weapons that the Pelicans have. And like D'Lo too, like on the Lakers, let's say they lose. You're probably facing against uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves. So you're going to have the trade play out and the winner going on to face Denver. So I think some of these teams might regret some of the trades they made because it's going to backfire on one of them going forward. I, I just, I love it. Like, I know we talk a lot about the East and how exciting it is, but the West overpowers at this playoffs. Yeah. Let's be honest. Like you're looking at, like, like this play in is could just be beautifully narr narrated. Like you could have LeBron take on Ja Morant, you could have Zion take on Ja, you could have Carl Anthony Towns take on Zion, and it's just like there's so many different narratives that it's a win-win. Even let's say OKC wins, like imagine you have Gilgis Alexander and the way he's been playing take on the Denver Nuggets because. Back in the bubble, Alino, we saw the Denver Nuggets. Basically, whatever Jamal Murray was doing in the bubble, I could see Gilgis Alexander replicating if the Thunder win here because Gilgis, is a, he's a man on a mission, man. He, I think he finished fourth in scoring. For the most part of the year, he was averaging 30 points per game, like almost triple-doubling. The guy was just playing out of his mind. So I, I'm still, you know how I feel about the Lakers. I always want them to be successful. I love LeBron. I think he's arguably the GOAT. Um, I want to see the Lakers take out Memphis. I just, I feel like that would just be the cherry on top. And the one thing that pisses me off, Alino, is nobody signed Melo because I feel like this yeah. guy would have had something to give, if he, whether he's going to Denver, whether he goes to the Lakers, whether he's, I don't know, on Golden State. Somewhere I feel like he would have been of some importance, but we're going to talk more about the playoffs probably next week when it is confirmed. We'll make our predictions, but man, this playoff is going to be fun, man, especially the Suns and the Warriors. That's just, 
That's crazy. That's going to be. Which team insane. are you least confident in, like actually making a pass right now? I think Memphis. I would circle as like I'm not too confident with them in terms of a play-in. Like Boston could have a good opportunity. Milwaukee, I'd feel confident. Denver, confident. I look at Memphis and I'm like, you know what? Maybe it wouldn't be so bad for these playing teams to play them. So I think the Lakers and Pelicans might have uh, got a good uh, standing right there. I'll tell you right now, Alino, we're probably going to do a parlay together once it's confirmed. If the Lakers win or the Pelicans, we got to take them at plus money to beat the Grizzlies. Okay. We got to do it. I'm doing it. I hate, I hate Memphis, man. I hate them. I got to do it. But I do agree. I mean, if there is one team that I'd probably say – is screwed, and I hate to say it, it's Sacramento. Like, they're a great yeah. team. Their offense is unbelievable. But you're taking on arguably the Clippers. Paul George has been rested. He's going to be coming back. He's going to be very, very motivated. They got Russell Westbrook, who still, I think, has a lot to give. And, of course, you have the Terminator, Kawhi, who <laughs> if you're going up against an inexperienced Sacramento team. Like, Kawhi's probably laughing at this matchup right now. I hate to say it. I don't like Sacramento fans are unbelievable. Like we talk about stadiums being rowdy. I think Sacramento's it's going to be tough to win there. But if there's one guy in the whole world that you do not want to face, it's Kawhi Leonard in the playoffs. So I got to go like Alino. If there's one team I'm confident that I don't see making it, it's Sacramento. And I hate to say it, but you just can't cancel out Kawhi, man. That 2018 run was special. He's got the software reboot. It's he updated does. now to the oh, next yeah. level. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, man, you know, we got to continue. I want to just quickly talk before we go into WrestleMania. I want to quickly talk about the NHL playoff race because, man, it's freaking entertaining as hell. I mean, you know, Ovi now is officially out of the playoffs, which sucks. But you do have the Islanders who are just continuing to win. They dominated the Lightning the other night. I think they won 7-2. to two. You got Florida. This guy, Alex Lyon, just continues to win. He's a backup goalie. And then you have the Penguins looking in. But they've been playing phenomenal hockey. So, I'll, you know, the only two of the three can make it. Who is that one team that you do not see making it out in the Eastern Conference? It's tough. Like, I really was hoping for Washington. But I think I'm going to unfortunately have to go with Pittsburgh oh. on that. It's tough. Like, I just think Pittsburgh could have done a little bit more salary cap maneuvering at the deadline. And I think right now we're seeing that they're, it's going to bite them at the end because they never did it. So I'll go Pittsburgh. I, I hate to say this. I think I got to go with the, with the Islanders not making it. I just think you look at the final three games, Alino, like Tampa, uh, Pittsburgh's laughing. They got Detroit, Columbus, and Chicago. So if you can't win those three games, you do not deserve to make the playoffs. Whereas the Islanders have a little more of a tough schedule. But for me, Florida, I really want to see them make it. I think Florida deserves it. They were at one point well out of the playoffs. And, you know, Matt Kachuk, I said to you last week, I think he's the runner-up for the Hart Trophy. The season he's had, it's just unbelievable. He has double the points of Jonathan Huberdeau. So that trade is an absolute disaster right now. But Speaking of Calgary, Alino, they're another team that's fighting for their playoff lives. Seattle actually clinched the top wildcard spot. Between three teams left as well, Alino, I can't believe it, man. Two three-team races here for the last wildcard spot. You got the Jets, the Flames, and you got the Nashville Predators. Alino, 
I know nobody wants to see Nashville in the playoffs. Let's be real here. <laughs> nobody wants to see them in the playoffs. But out of those three teams, do you see out of all the woes Calgary's had, do you see them making it or do you still think it's the Jets to lose at this point? Yeah, I think it's the Jets to lose at this point. Like Calgary, their inconsistency in net has been the reason I think that they haven't had success. Like Markstrom, I thought last year was unbelievable. And then he comes into this year, there's talks of him not even be the starter at one point and Vladder coming up. And like, I don't even know what was going on there. And then Markstrom gets in that back and then it's too late because the forwards aren't producing as much. Like you got Huberto coming in. He doesn't know his role under Sutter and it's just a mess. So I think this team could have been a lot better. I know they were able to find a way around uh, two of their top players wanting to leave last year, and they like insert Kadri, they insert Huberto in there. But this team, just this year, it's a disappointment. And I think the management has to do something, whether it's another big trade or maybe it's another coaching change, unfortunately. But like you can't go into next year if you miss a playoffs with this group. I agree perfectly, man. I think uh, it's crazy how the narrative has kind of changed completely with Winnipeg. Like, remember last year when. They got rid of their coach, and then it's like, oh, Shifley wants out. Blake Wheeler gets stripped of the captaincy. Like, what the hell is going to happen with this Jets team? And they're still together. They're still relatively really, really good. Connor Hellebuck is a guy that I think, yeah, you know, at times he doesn't look good, but I still think he's a top-10 goalie in the league. You look at the Flames, there's been a lot of rumors out, you know, where they the players have basically voiced that they don't want Sutter behind the bench anymore. I don't know what the hell is going on with the – Team morale behind the bench, but it doesn't sound good. I agree with you perfectly with Markstrom. This was a guy last year where you look at this guy arguably being like a Vesna goalie, carrying himself very well, and then, of course, we saw him crumble against the Oilers last year, but, hey, that's McDavid. You know, it's going to happen. It's just tough to see. I really want to see Calgary do well, but the Jets, to me, I think are the team, like you said, it's, it's their it's their playoff, uh, playoff hopes to lose at this point. They're the better team. Overall, Josh Morrissey's been phenomenal all year. Kyle Connor, those type of guys that can carry a franchise to a playoff. But Alino, the one thing that I need to bring up in the Western Conference is not one single top six is confirmed right now. You got the Wild and the Avalanche are tied at 100 points. So you don't know who's going to win that division yet. You got Minnesota, who's like three points behind. And then you go in the other division, you got Vegas, who I believe just clinched the division, and you got the Oilers and the Kings two or three points apart. So I know they're all relatively close together, Alino. You got Dallas taking on uh, Minnesota right now. You got the Oilers and the Kings. Does home ice really advantage? Does home ice really count at this point in terms of series, or do you think these two teams in both series are just so, so evenly matched? Because we see the Kings, they've been phenomenal. We see the Oilers, they've been phenomenal. And then you got Dallas and Minnesota who just flip a coin, right? Yeah, I agree. I think it's only going to really matter if they have to travel far. Like, I think for Edmonton to L.A., that might be where home ice is uh, a benefit. But if it's going to be like a Dallas-Minnesota, I don't think it will be too difficult. So I think that might cancel out. But I think L.A. is uh, a team that would really benefit with home ice to start. Uh, Kopitar especially you have a guy like that getting a good rhythm I think Vegas looking at the other side there Phil Kessel scoring in that game where they uh, clinch that playoff berth so 
good for Phil. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see Seattle because if you remember when the Islanders went on that run there, Jordan <laughs> Eberle was the star of the show. So I think uh, Canada Captain Clutch over there from uh, the World Juniors is going to show out in this playoff run. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Seattle uh, gets a couple wins. If they win a series, I think that might be like – this season is a success already. Like if you can even get through the first round, but I think if you can get a win or two and push a game or a top team to six games, I think you can look back at a positive season for them. I mean, the unfortunate thing is with Seattle is right now they're facing Colorado. And <laughs> I mean, like, I know we saw Vegas have that run. We saw the Habs have that run, but like Seattle with their goaltending, like Martin Jones is not going to, he's not going to do it, man. Like McCarr right now is injured, but you got Landis Cog. I don't know when he's coming back. I think he's rumored to come back in the playoffs. The choo-choo train in the Shushkin has just been a machine. Lekkinen's been great. Rantanen has 50 whatever goals. McKinnon has 104 points in like 65 games. I'll you know, like this team is motivated. I think Colorado would run Seattle over, but you never know, man, because Vegas right now is looking like they're going to face Winnipeg, and that's a series where, you know, as good as Vegas is, like the Jets are just a team that I don't want to face. So quickly we'll talk more about the East quickly. I mean, Boston obviously wins the Presidents by far. Monumental season like Tampa Bay all those years ago. We'll see what happens there. But, you know, I said this last week, Alino, Florida Panthers, this is a team where if the Boston Bruins match up with Florida – it's going to be a closer series, I think, than people expect. And, you know, you're looking at Pittsburgh, who would probably face either Carolina or New Jersey, because New Jersey's only one point behind Carolina. Alino, who do you think would be better off winning that division in terms of playoff matchup? Would it be Carolina or would it be New Jersey? Because I know everybody wants to see New Jersey, New York, but, man, Carolina, New York in the first round, that would be crazy. Yeah, Carolina, New York would be fun just because of all the trades that have gone on between the two. Like we saw like Shea and uh, like him when he went over and like they've helped each other, I think, in terms of uh, trade deadline moves. But I think they match up well on the back end. You got Burns on Carolina that can really help things along. It's going to be tough. Like that's a first round matchup where it could go either way because you don't know how New Jersey's going to perform under this. It's new to them. Like Hughes is there. It's first time thing for him. He's here. So you want to see how those guys react under that situation. If you're the management, you're going to find out what you have in them in terms of uh, playoff hockey. So I think it's exciting for once in the East, like all those years that we heard about the West and rightfully so it was way better. I think we got a lot of matchups in the East that could be those coin flips that could go either way. Yeah, man. And, uh, you know, next week, I guess when it comes close, we'll talk more about the Leafs and Lightning. I don't want to bring it up too much just because, you know, it just never works out. But, you know, I think this is the year where if you talk about the Leafs and you talk about the Lightning and you look at the trajectory that both teams have been on, the Leafs are the better team. I mean, you have Vasilevsky, who to me is the best goalie. I don't care what anyone says with Allmark. I just still think push comes to shove, big time game. You're going with Vasilevsky over Allmark. I'm sorry. But the Leafs, you got O'Reilly, you got Achari, you got Lafferty. You've, you've addressed so many needs. And I think this is where it's finally the year. You look at this Leaf team, 
you got to do it. If you don't do it this year, there's so many more question marks and questions that have to be answered. And Alino, this is my prediction to you because we saw Jordano take a cheap discount to stay here. Do you see, because I know O'Reilly is still, he's not relatively old, old. I think he's like 32. Do you see O'Reilly, let's say we win the first round. Do you see him staying here or do you see him probably going back to St. Louis because we need a guy like Ryan O'Reilly? Yeah, I would say he would be a situation where it's like a success type of thing. I don't think it's going to be like Spezza where he'll say for 700K. <laughs> Like, no. <laughs> I think he'll probably look to free agency, even though he's a, it's been a good fit. But I think re- he's going to take advantage of his Stanley Cup wins. If the Leafs have success, it's going to be something where he can use that as leverage uh, when talking to other teams, get a better deal. So I would say no right now, but you never know. If this team goes far, he might change his mind. But it's going to come down to also Matthew Nice if uh, he comes in and he's unbelievable. I think they would be like they wouldn't mind if O'Reilly, since they have him slotted on the left wing at times, they wouldn't mind if he left. So it's a rental, and maybe if he sees other guys committed long term, he'll probably stay. But I doubt it. I mean, you know, you're looking at Matthew Nice potentially coming in and playing. You got Yarn Croc playing phenomenal. You know, like this. This I've been hearing Bunting's name a lot this week. I know he's been getting a lot of negative press in terms of his relationship with the reps, but do you see Bunting re-signing here? Because like I'm looking more and more at our team and just looking at what we need. I mean, Bunting is a pretty decent player. He's not a Hyman. He's not a, I'd maybe say he's more of a Connor Brown than a Hyman, but if you're the Leafs Salino and you could probably get him at 2 million for four years, are you doing that or if you're bunting, are you kind of proving yourself and, and going for a big payout in free agency? I think the least what they showed with uh, Hyman is, you know what, as long as we have Marner and as long as we have Matthews, we'll be fine in that area. We can maybe plot someone else in because I think this is the latest lineup they had. Matthews, Yarncroc, and bunting. Like, if Bunting leaves, you can easily give money there to Nylander, move him there. Marner, you can have Marner Matthews on the line with, like, insert anybody. You have Nice coming in on the left wing, so that's going to add depth. Kerfoot can be the guy that's interchangeable. So I think they'll be fine if Bunting leaves. Like, he's going to probably price himself out because, obviously, yeah. when you're playing with a guy like Matthews and Marner and you get all those points, <laughs> might as well cash in like Hyman did. If you're going to mooch off those guys at some point, it's you're going to want to get the millions too. So I wouldn't be like upset if Bunting did that. Uh, you're only going to get one shot at that in free agency, so go for it. But for the Leafs, I think as long as they have those two on the top line together and producing the way they do, I think they'll be fine with somebody else coming on the left wing. Dude, I, I'm going to put this comparison out there, and you're going to laugh so hard. Michael Bunting reminds me of Matt Bolesky. Like, like, do you remember that season? Do you remember that season when Matt Bolesky played with Getzlaff and he had like 25 yeah. goals and then he goes to Boston for like 4.2 million? Like, I could see Bunting getting like, again, he ha- he's had 20 goals back-to-back seasons. I could see a team just being like, yeah, we'll give you a 4.5 mil. Like, let's go. And it just doesn't pan out. I, 
I don't want to bash Bunting at all saying he's a Mapaleski, but just I'm looking at like the trajectory and how it kind of is panning out. It's like it's kind of eerie, man. And you even have guys in the past like like Dustin Penner, like like Jared Stoll, like these guys who are not 60 point guys by any means, and they're getting 60 because they're playing with over the years like Kopitar and Getzlav and Crosby and it's just one of those things where bunting, man, like if I'm you, you should probably try and get as much money as you can. So, yeah, you said it perfectly. Interchangeable is the perfect word because you got so many guys that can just do what he does. You got Yarncroft, you got Kerfoot, you got Nylander, you got Nice, you got Robertson. Like, you got way too many guys, I think, that could do what Bunting's doing right now. So, I think Bunting, man, honestly, it was a nice run. Go cash out somewhere else, man. I think you can get it. But... We're going to move on now to WWE, man. We're talking about Wrestle Frickin' Mania. It was a pretty damn good show. Alino, you know what? I was pleasantly surprised with the show. I know the 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 overall, how do you call it? The build for it was pretty good. It was a little bit lackluster at times. You're looking at Bianca and, and Asuka not really getting a lot of traction. Rey Mysterio and Dominic had all the traction in the world. The buildup for that was phenomenal. But Alino, I just got to ask you the most broad question. What was the most enjoyable part of WrestleMania and what stood out to you most in this show? I'll say night one as a whole stood out more than night two because like the feeling after night one, just every single match delivered, even matches that you didn't have high hopes for delivered. Aside from the Cena Theory match, which probably timing-wise should have probably been mid-card of the first night instead of the one that started it off just because of the pace of it, it still had the outcome where like it was fine. It was like a Raw like matchup, like a main event of a Raw, but looking over that, like every other match kind of delivered. Like the tag match, Braun Strowman doing that splash, like... I wasn't expecting anything in there. Uh, and that ended up being one of the matches of the weekend. And Ray and Dominic had the story going into it. That was like amazing how that played out. Main event delivered. KO and Sami Zayn, oh, that yeah. huge pop they got. Night two, Brock and Omos. That was pretty fun. <laughs> like The crowd were going crazy for that. And then I think Gunther, Sheamus, and Drew really stole the show uh, on night two. So... I liked it. Like every match, I think had their own enjoyable qualities. Like even you go to the six woman tag, that was pretty good for what it was. It wasn't like a twenty minute match, but they all got their stuff in. And Rhea Charlotte usually uh, one of the top matches there. So other than the main event ending the way it did uh, <laughs> of night two, which caused a little bit of a stir online, oh, I yeah. think it was one of the best WrestleManias in the like last decade easily. Yeah, I was just gonna say, like, we're I'm I was when I asked you the question after the show, again, it was unfortunate because I was in MTL. This was the first mania I haven't watched live in a long time. But again, you know, it is what it is. I, I rewatched it right after and I was pleasantly surprised with every single match. The only thing, Alino, that I kind of would have changed was the lazy approach with the six women tag team match with, with Trish uh Lita and Becky, I just thought it was perfect timing to do a heel turn there, and they didn't do it. Just kind of was like, I was kind of surprised with that. But, I mean, I, I was saying to you, like, we're looking back at manias from 30 to 39. This, to me, was by far the best one. I mean, I, last year was really good, too, 
with uh, with Becky and Bianca stealing the show, and and you had, uh, I mean, Kevin Owens and Stone Cold was amazing last year too, low key. But Mania's before that, they just fell flat. Like 30, 37 was whatever. I thought 36 with the, the main event be Well, I mean, 37, you had the triple threat with Reigns, Bryan, and Edge, which was really highly touted. And that one kind of didn't deliver. The year before that, you had the triple threat with Becky winning on that random roll-up, which I thought was whatever. It's just one of those where you look back from like 33 to now, and it was just kind of like, it was whatever. I mean, 2020, the Boneyard match was phenomenal with AJ and Undertaker. But, like, on a consistent basis of performance, like, I haven't seen it like this in a very long time. So, like, Theory and Cena, I thought it was a little bit gimmicky with him biting his fingers and all that and the low blow. Just, I didn't like the way it ended. I thought Cena would be a guy where he would put Theory over clean. Like, just, if you're going to have Theory win, just have him win clean. No shenanigans, and unfortunately, they couldn't do that. Um, I said to you last week when they did that tag match with all those guys in it, like the Viking Raiders are a team that can deliver. Uh, the Street Profits are phenomenal. They could even be singles guys. Braun Strowman, we thought it would probably turn on Ricochet. That didn't happen. But that match was phenomenal. I think Chad Gable, the king of the ring is coming up, Alino. I think this is a guy that you probably have to go with to win it. Just kind of... Ease your way away from Otis. I think he could be a great singles guy. If Theory's going to stay on Raw, you could have Gable go for the, the United States title. Um, I will say to Alino, you could probably agree with me on this one. Seth Rollins, Logan Paul kicked ass, and I think that should have probably opened the show. I know Seth Rollins probably wouldn't have been happy with that, but I think Logan Paul is the best celebrity performer by far that we've ever seen. He's athletic. He knows what he's doing. And he knows he knows how to be a piece of shit and an asshole. So he's got that down packed. The fact that KSI came out definitely got them a lot more marketing, a lot more media attention, which is smart. Um, but you know, Rey Mysterio, Dominic, that match was phenomenal, Alino. That was something where you're looking at just the way that Dominic played with his family too, ringside. Yeah, Bad Bunny come out, kind of interfere as well. And then of course, finally. Michael Cole, when Ray brings the belt out, does Michael Cole making everything that much better? Be like, yeah, get him, get him, Ray, get him, get him. <laughs> I mean, I, we were surprised. I thought Dominic was going to get the win here, but, you know, Ray gets the win. Alino, I guess, with all those matches that I just mentioned, was Seth Rollins and Logan Paul better than Ray and Dominic, or would you say it was kind of even? Because I rewatched both of them, and they're probably on par. I still think Seth and Logan was probably a little bit better. Yeah, I think so, and I just think the story, like storyline wise, and like payoff wise, I think Ray and Dominic was stronger from that point. But like in ring wise, I think like Logan Paul proved that he deserves another contract, like extended, and see what other matches they can do with them. Because I think there's a lot more uh, with him, especially a guy who like looks like he wants to be there and wants to be involved. So he now lost to Roman, lost to Seth. I think. The next feud he's going to be in, he'll probably win. Like we saw when he was with Miz, he won that one. Uh, I think if they put him in with somebody getting on the top of the card, like a Drew McIntyre, like someone who's another rumor to have his contract, he's going to play it out type oh, of thing. Fuck. I think they'll see like Logan Paul get a win on him. I wouldn't be surprised. And then he'll lose like whatever the next big program is. So I think they, they have a good formula with them. I think they found a way where 
whoever he's involved with, they're going to be cheered. And as long as he keeps on being a heel, I think uh, they'll get the right impact on the match and the whole feud. Yeah, don't make him a face. Please do not make him a face. He does not fit the mold to be a face. But, Alino, then we got, of course, to me, I think the second or third best match on all of WrestleMania. You had Rhea Ripley finally get her moment, beat Charlotte Flair clean. Um, I know this was definitely the right call. We looked back a couple of years ago when they faced each other and we saw Charlotte Flair surprisingly retain the NXT title against Rhea. I thought that was like... Really? Like, you could have had Rhea kind of make a name for herself there, and she lost. They did not make the same mistake twice, and Rhea came out here looking like an absolute megastar. I think Alino, she's probably the woman superstar of the year by far, and she was out for the first half of it. So her second half of 2022, or sorry, yeah, her second half of 2022 going all the way into WrestleMania, it's been perfection. I know, I don't know if they're going to be uh, having her kind of uh, steer away from Judgment Day. I think she probably benefits more if she's away from Judgment Day, but I think it was the right call to have Rhea Ripley win here. I don't know if she's going to be a baby face. She went up against Bianca the other night on Raw uh, face-to-face. Alino, do you think it benefits WWE after this performance? You could maybe have the double turn down the line with Charlotte turning heel again because it only makes sense now with Charlotte losing that she gets a little sour and maybe turns on someone. Yeah, it would make sense. I think if they do do it, like make sure the rain is long enough where it's not like a quick one where she comes back to her like two and a half months and right away going into Money in the Bank, she's beating her for the title in a double turn. Like if they're going to do it, save it for like Survivor Series where she's had a long enough rain where fans are going to continue to be rallying behind. And then after all of a sudden, that's when the turn happens. So. I would hold off on it, do it like a long build, and then it will be more meaningful for both their careers if they do that. Yeah, I think Rhea Ripley, man, you're looking at her trajectory right now. It's just like it was like Becky Lynch, was it not? Like she kind of was not in limbo, but she was we always saw her as that main event star, but never really got the attention to, you know, be that person. And finally she beats the queen, she wins clean and this is now her her ascent to the top of the mountain, man. Like, you look at Rhea Ripley, you look at Bianca Belair as the two women that are atop, man. It's very, very exciting if you're a woman, if you're in WWE, if you're watching this. Because for the longest time, it was Becky and Charlotte. And obviously, they're probably still not done with those two as being the top. But you have Rhea and Bianca right now at the top of the mountain. It's really refreshing, is it not? Like, it's rejuvenating to see these two young talents do what they did in NXT and translate to being the greatest on the roster right now. Yeah, for sure. And like before, I think before like COVID and stuff, like it was the same feud over and over again. Like, don't get me wrong. They're all good, but like you can only see the same feud and the same pairing between those four horsewomen so many times, like before it gets old. So now like I know the Becky and Bailey feud has kind of been, different and that they did a double turn and they had uh the whole dynamic there with the legends coming back but eventually like if you go back to it again it's going to come off like okay we've seen this before so i think having a new two new champions like this come up and show that they were on nxt the top caliber talents over there and now on the main roster they're proving it again i think it's refreshing for the whole division right now 
Yeah, because Ben, you're looking at even some of the NXT champs that we've seen in the past, like with Finn Balor, with a couple others, and you look at you know Shayna Baszler and Io Shirai. For some of them, it just doesn't come as soon as for the others. Like even Rhea, it kind of we had to wait a bit, like three at least three years for her to reach the top of the mountain, and she's the only woman, Alino, you know, to win in any any title, you know, any main title in, in NXT UK, NXT, and then of course the woman, the Raw and the the SmackDown Women's titles. So. I mean, I, I think Rhea Ripley is an absolute star. I do agree with you. I think this reign has to be very long. Not Roman Reigns long, but I do think it has to be at least what Bianca has done. So about a year, I think she should hold the belt. Um, in terms of the money in the bank, that's going to be exciting. I do expect Charlotte Flair to win it. I just have this irking suspicion that you're looking at the names out there. Maybe if you really want to have a Neo Shirai, a Ronda Rousey, a Shayna Baszler, or maybe even, like, if you want to go a different approach, Alino, like a Raquel Rodriguez, someone where, you know, you, you see her as maybe that potential main event star. Not right now. She's still a little green. But I don't know, man. I just think Charlotte Flair, uh, she's going to win everything in her career. I think that's just going to be another thing to her resume. And that could just, you know, accelerate her heel turn as well if she turns and, you know, cashes in somewhere. But Enough of that. We got to go, obviously, to the main event. Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn finally getting their moment in a very emotional uh, ending to the show. I absolutely love this match, Alino. I mean, we say so much about the Usos and how phenomenal they've been as a tag team forever. I think they're in the Mount Rushmore's of tag teams when you look at the work, the body of work that they've done. Alino, I was looking at some reviews of pay-per-views. They've been doing this for like 11, 12 years now. So, um, Alino, this was a long one. This was a 25-minute tag team match. I said to you in the production uh, prediction video, this is going to be one of the greatest tag team matches we've seen. And, hey, it did not disappoint at all. What were your thoughts on the outcome, Alino? I know it was predictable, but that, the match absolutely delivered. Yeah, the two Canadian kids, good Canadian kids winning the title. Uh, it's the one you wanted to see. It's so one that was deserved because of uh, the run Sami Zayn has been on the last year. And Jey Uso, main event Jay proved it again. And I think going forward, that's a guy for Roman. That It all started with them too. That's a whole bloodline storyline how it started. I wouldn't be opposed to Jey Uso being the one to uh, take the title off him or one title if they want to go to that point. And I think it would make sense storyline-wise. And Jey Uso proved that uh, if he goes on his own as a singles competitor, he could be a star. And we saw Kevin Owens now back-to-back manias. Uh, main evented with Stone Cold of all people last year and main events this year wins a title. So I think everybody out of this whole storyline ended up benefiting from it because they main evented. They had the strongest storyline for the better part of a year. And now it's going to be interesting to see like how they book this because their history together – I think and it might be inevitable that Kevin Owens <laughs> turns on Sami Zayn at some point to end it. So I hope it's not like a quick one, but maybe next WrestleMania, if they have another WrestleMania match, because I think they ha- when Logan Paul's first uh, celebrity appearance, he was, I don't know if he was an enforcer, like guest timekeeper, whatever the hell he was for that match, but I think if they do this again, it'll be much stronger uh, if they want to do a do-over at WrestleMania with KO over Sami Zayn. I agree with you, man. Like, KO is going to be the guy to turn for sure. It's not going to be Sami Zayn. It's going to be Kevin Owens. We don't know when it's going to happen, but 
I mean, we saw in Raw they put on a great match against the Street Profits. I'm just looking at the type of teams that they go up against for this tag team title run. Alino, is it safe to say we haven't seen the New Day in a while? I know Kofi's been injured, but would you maybe come SummerSlam or maybe before that, would you pull a New Day coming back up and, and facing them for the titles, or do you still think the Usos are the right call or maybe the Street Profits? Yeah, right now I'd go uh... – Usos with that storyline how it is maybe even have Solo uh, replace either Jay or Jimmy like have Roman say he doesn't feel comfortable with Jay because he thinks he'll lose it for them and that's how it starts a feud with those two and Solo and Jimmy are the team going forward so I think there's a lot that they could still do with that bloodline angle and then the Street Profits like we saw they're probably the most over team besides those two that have come up and delivered so I would give it to them and then continue to see like on NXT, like who can come up and go on the main roster in that draft and make an impact because you can't have like what we saw before where the same teams over and over again are going for the title. And then like the Viking Raiders would happen with them where then it gets stale and they don't know what to do with the new day. And then all of a sudden they're playing basketball and going like a best of seven and whatever competition every week. So I would uh, find a team build some secondary feuds, and then you have a next title uh, opponent the next month. Yeah, I mean, you could even build Imperium. You could build the Brawling Brutes. You could build Braun and Ricochet. Like, you do have teams that I think are hungry to get that spot, specifically against two basically main event guys. Like, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, in my opinion, are main event guys. So I think they're all going to be hungry. I think this is going to accelerate and definitely make the tag team titles more meaningful. I mean, the Usos are coming off that 600 plus day reign with them. I just think this is where you have to really, really elevate the titles with just how hot Sami Zayn has been as a guy. So, um, but we got to quickly keep move on, keep moving on. We're already at the hour mark here. Uh, you know, almost in Lesnar man was fun. I mean, it was an hour. It wasn't, I mean, it was an hour. It was, uh, it was four minutes, but it's just one of those matches where you look at almost, he looked pretty good at times. Like, he got some spots in. Brock Lesnar trying to pick him up for the first one and couldn't do it. That was the whole, you know, storyline. Kind of like similar to Ryback and Mark Henry back in 2013 at WrestleMania 29. Ryback lost because of that. But, hey, it's Brock Lesnar. He's not going to lose here. So he easily picked him up after that. He got it done. And one, two, three, that was it. Alino, how lucky are you if you're a guy like Omos getting these opportunities at WrestleMania? Yeah, like just searching to finding like the right picture here. Like, look at the size difference between these two. Like, Brock isn't a small guy and almost like towers over him. So, I think they built this up as perfectly as they could with almost uh, being like basically still green, like limited and what he can do. But I thought it was good. Under five minutes, they did it perfectly. Like, we saw almost throw Lesnar around. Like, Lesnar was that baby face that was like, the underdog, which is kind of weird to see, but different. And he comes back, gets a German suplex, hits him with the F5 at the end to win it. Crowd goes crazy. So I think they built this perfectly. It was as good as it was going to be because of obviously like what Lesnar's capable of and what almost is capable of at this stage. But almost is lucky. First year, him and AJ team up against a new day. Then he faces Bobby Lashley fresh off his return and when he was a WWE champion. Now Brock Lesnar, like, there's only one way to go from here. He's got to face Roman next year. <laughs> oh, God. I, I think everybody hopes not with that one. But, yeah, you know what? This was a perfectly executed match. It was like 
It reminded me, Alino, of Goldberg and uh, Brock Lesnar all those years ago at WrestleMania for the title. It's like, you know what? We know that Lesnar's winning this. You just got to make it like a solid five, six minutes. And they did. And it worked out. So it was very similar in that regard. But I thought it was I thought it was fun seeing Brock Lesnar be the babyface here because all those manias in the past. I mean, last year he was the top babyface in the company going up against Roman, but like all those years in the past, like going up against Dean, against Seth, against Roman, he was always that heel. So it was good to see Brock be the face for back to back manias. Just very weird. But hey. Then we of course we had the 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 the, the woman showcase, fatal four way. Very predictable, you know, Shayna and Ronda getting the win. But I did think that Raquel and Liv definitely were the two that stood out here. I thought actually Shotzi had a lot of uh, mm. lot of offense in this as well. This was a, a woman where you're looking at, it's like you're either going to give Shotzi the opportunity or you're not. And they gave it to her here. I thought it was really good. Um, but the match that everybody was talking about the whole weekend was the triple threat. Like this match was... To me, I don't know if it was better than than Sheamus and Gunther at Clash at the Castle. I think it was very close. Drew McIntyre's involvement just, I think, elevated it even more. You know, when you saw him hit the Claymore, you saw Drew, you saw Sheamus hit the Bro Kick. A lot of near falls in this one. The chop segment, Alino, with Gunther and Drew McIntyre. Holy oh, shit! Just the the loudness of those chops. I, I'm not going to lie, Alino. We both wanted to see Sheamus get the win here. I was surprised that Gunther retained, to be honest with you. But I, I personally think it was match of the night out of all the, the – or sorry, match of the weekend. What were your thoughts on this? Was it also match of the weekend for you? Yeah, I think it's a strong contender there. Like, holy shit, that chop. That, the first one, too, like – it was like as if they got the pyro by accident. They just shot it off without like realizing. That's what it sounded when it was coming off on TV. Like I felt bad for Sheamus, like <laughs> he the way he took that, and then Drew just going up and like, okay, I'm gonna take one out here on Gunther, give the kid a a good solid potato, and just drop it right on his chest. And then they went back and just the ending too. I thought they protected everyone because it wasn't like Gunther like squash him at the end. He just hit his finisher on top of Sheamus and Drew, like just powerbomb one on top of the other, then hit Drew. And I think it saved all of them. Like they all look stronger coming out of it, which is kind of hard when it's a triple threat because you know one of them is going to take the loss there. But I think none of them lost any momentum coming out of this. It was perfect. And Gunther, like I don't know when Roman's going to be back. Like he's going to probably be on Raw and SmackDown in the coming weeks. But his next match will probably – I think Money in the Bank would be uh, probably an estimate. Like, would you do Gunther versus Roman since it's in the UK? I mean, obviously, I think that's definitely something that I would build towards. But seeing as he's the intercontinental champion, I think they're probably going to lean more towards Drew to be put in that that situation. I think Drew's a guy where you could always kind of have as like that some main event guy and guy that can you you can plug in to be in that situation. I mean, it would be cool to see Gunther as the intercontinental champion going up against the, the WWE, like, you know, the, the WWE universal champion. I think that would be like, you have three titles in one match. That would be nuts. But Gunther's run, man, like this is a, as just as special as Romans. You're looking at the intercontinental title. We haven't seen a run like this for the IC title. I, since I can remember maybe 
the Miz back in 2016. Like this is a run where he's he's just elevating guys as well. Like not only is Gunther reaching a different pinnacle in his career, he's making Sheamus get more you know love than he's ever gotten in a long time. You see Drew McIntyre. Yeah, you know, his contract is running out, but this is a, a hungry Drew McIntyre. He's putting on banger after banger. So this is going to be one of those runs where when when Gunther does lose the title, it's only going to benefit him. He's going to probably be a main event guy. So, I'll, you know, I'm going to still predict that Sheamus takes it from him. I don't know when, but it has to happen at some point. I think Sheamus is a guy where you could even put him against Roman Reigns right now, and I don't think anybody will complain. So... I think Sheamus, Drew, Gunther, they're all in their own stardom right now. You said it perfectly. It didn't hurt any of them. I mean, Gunther retaining to me was definitely surprising. I thought Sheamus, it was his time. But eventually, I think it will come, maybe at a B-level pay-per-view. But this is a situation I'll know where he's, as soon as Gunther loses, he's probably going to be facing either a guy like Brock Lesnar or he's going to be in the main event. So you got to love Gunther's elevation man like Gunther and and Rhea Ripley very very similar trajectory I think they're both the future of WWE but I gotta ask you Alino when is Gunther dropping it and who is he dropping it to because I still think it is Sheamus yeah I thought Sheamus would be the one to win it here I think pin Drew Drew takes a fall and that would lead to Drew versus Sheamus but I think the longer he holds it it's going to probably be like a guy – I wouldn't be surprised if it's Braun Breaker if he comes up as a face, even though he just turned heel on NXT. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> if they want to go that route, like, I don't know. Like, it's tough now. Maybe LA Knight yes. that would be another one because he's on fire right now and the crowd love him. But, like, if they do the money in the bank scenario, the only way – like, I could see that being a way for whoever wins the money in the bank. Like, let's say it's Jey Uso. Roman thinks, so. okay, nobody's going to ever like cash in. You won't have to worry. Gunther does a number on him. Nobody wins a match. It's just Jay coming out, and uh, he takes a title off Roman. I think that would be a way to take it off Roman without damaging his credibility. Gunther looks strong, but I wouldn't be surprised. I'm going to go LA Knight right now as a guy to be the new Intercontinental Champ, probably at SummerSlam. Hey, you know what? If he's going to be a babyface... Just go all in with him because he does have the charisma and the, and everybody, like you said, they do love him. And I called this man. I knew it. As soon as LA Knight feuded with Bray Wyatt, I'm like, this guy's going to, he's going to, he's going to be the one better off than he has been. So LA Knight, Eli Drake, man, the guy has all the talent in the world. I'm happy for the guy, but hey man, then we had Bianca and Asuka and this one didn't disappoint either. I mean, I knew that I saw a lot of internet fans get a little upset that Oscar didn't get the win here, but hey, we both predicted Bianca to retain. And, you know, she's been on an, a year long reign. She's looked basically unbeatable at this point. And, you know, I think we said it basically during the predictions. It makes Oscar improve as a heel. You know, now we definitely know that she's a heel, solidify herself as a dangerous threat to Bianca down the line. Do you see Oscar being a dark horse to win the Money in the Bank as well, Alina, or do you think they would? It would be more beneficial for her to just organically beat Bianca clean. Yeah, I think they wouldn't be. Uh, they it wouldn't go bad either or. Like I think they can still have her win it, or if they want to give someone else a win and have Oscar take the title off her clean at the same pay per view, it probably would make sense, but. Like, a lot of people are mad that she's 0-4 at WrestleMania. I think this is a good thing because it makes a storyline for next year. Like, if she's a heel, it, like she's so dominant in every other 
like program she's in where it's just WrestleMania. She can't seem to win. So now next year they have a big storyline to go and whoever she's wrestling, it's going to be like a feud that benefits whoever is going up against her. And if she wins, like, will she end the losing streak or will they be like extended for five straight years? And then the next year she's in there. And I think it would be a good way to promote the losing streak more because how dominant she's been. It's not like a Kurt Hawkins situation where he was losing all the time. Like, if it's just a WrestleMania thing, I wouldn't mind if they do that and and may elevate someone else if she gets a win. I like that. I mean, I don't also oh, who else did she face? I knew she faced Rhea, she faced Charlotte, and she faced uh Oh, I think uh, it was a tag or whatever the COVID one was. Like I don't know if it was a tag or the Kabuki Warriors when they were. Yeah, it was that, definitely so. the Kabuki Warriors. But I remember it. Every singles match that she has had has been really meaningful, man. Like, she took yeah. on Rhea Ripley a couple of years ago. She took on Bianca this year, and then she lost, obviously. I still think Charlotte beating her was wild. Uh, I, I don't know how they booked that. But, hey, it is the queen. But I do agree with you. I think this is one of the more intriguing women in the Ross, on the roster right now in terms of which way they're going to go with her. I could easily see Charlotte or Asuka as dominant as, as they've been be money in the bank winners or they can just have them win naturally just clean like oh you know oscar she's one of the best heels in the company we're gonna have a loser loser mind and absolutely obliterate bianca here so bianca has nothing to lose i feel like bianca at this point in her career you know she's been champion for so long whether they give her a break whether they you know have her chasing the titles make more of a narrative again i think it's only beneficial for both of them and yeah, you know, they hinted at Rhea versus Bianca, and you might unify the belts. I don't think that's a good idea at all. I think you have enough women on the roster to definitely have two belts and and make them meaningful. But, Alino, you know, I, gotta, I just got to ask, when is Becky going to be back in that uh, in that main event uh, storyline? Because we all know it's coming. <laughs> yeah, I think probably SummerSlam. Like, I, every year it seems like she's going after Bianca Belair. And uh, SummerSlam has been the event where Becky Lynch has had success from last year or two years ago when she made that return. And then after she loses it, I think I wouldn't be surprised if they do uh, the third match this year at SummerSlam. Yeah, but I mean, if it's not Trish Stratus, yeah, you're going to do Bianca versus Becky for the third time. But hey, man, you know what? Then we had, I'm not talking about the Miz and I don't care about that. That was bad. Um, we could talk about Shane returning and blowing out his leg. That was pretty funny. Oh, man. Poor guy. You know what? That's karma for him freaking booking himself in the rumble. Fucking asshole. <laughs> the guy has to understand that he's not young anymore. You can't be <laughs> the ring in the guy. Flying around like that. Oh my god. Poor it was just so funny. Dog on the fly. Throw oh. a punch in the people's elbow. They deserve a raise, him and the Miz, for saving that whole segment. That could have been bad. That was so bad, man. That was the most awkward thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, and the Miz, like I said, he deserves better than that. Like, you can't control it because they had that match what like four years ago, Shane and the Miz, and that stupid falls count anywhere where Shane obviously gets the win. And wait, did Shane win? I think the Miz won. Yeah, that. the Miz with that suplex off that. I don't know what that was, the stage thing, and they went through the table, but Shane's hand was on his shoulder, and yeah, Miz should have won. Stupid shit. Yeah, whatever. It was, you know what, but, you know, we had Edge and Finn Balor, and I thought, or sorry, the Demon, I thought this was, 
again, it's obviously because I'm an Edge fan. I think the expectations that I had were way too high. It was good. Don't get me wrong. It's just when Edge threw that ladder at Finn's head, and he just started leaking. That's when everything kind of went downhill. They had to stop the match. Edge, you know, kudos to him for, like, still kind of doing stuff on the fly, looking for more weapons, not just completely stopping. Um, but I did think Finn Balor, I thought he at times he was going to win this match, but just the way it ended, like, they buried the demon here, did they not? Just the way it ended, the concerto, the easy three count. Just at times they made it look like the demon was freaking unstoppable, but since that ladder shot, it was just like, ah, I didn't care. Like, I thought the concerto thing... He should have done it three times, I think. Like, it would have showed, okay, the demon's not... He kicked out after the first one, and Edge, like, in the past, like, could be a sick fuck a little bit. I think after the demon kicked out, Edge would have done that thing where he, like, he's confused, he pulls his hair a little bit, like a psycho, like a maniac, and, and then does I it think he should have... <laughs> do it three times after. It would have showed, okay, the demon's strong. Like, it's not one little concerto, and a busted head from the ladder is going to do anything. I think if he did it three times, it would have been... Obviously, you're not hitting him in the head. Like, I'm not, like, saying, oh, yeah, just give him a concussion. Like, I know it's, like, <laughs> people listening, that's going to be out of context. But, like, hit the chair and, like, make it look like he's damaging the demon and end it like that. Because when Randy Orton was facing Edge, like, we saw all the stuff he was doing just to get that win. And that, uh, I don't know, it was last man standing. when he That was, I think, perfect way to do it. So, if Edge did something similar, I think it would have made the bal or the demon Balor look a little bit stronger coming out of Mania because now it looks like Ray is the leader of the group and it looks like Priest and Balor kind of lost some of their momentum and Dominic is on a high still. So I, I think it just took away from the group a little bit. Yeah, I, I literally agree with your booking perfectly. I think just the way that they were building, remember during the match, like it's like nothing affected him. Like you would hit him with the um, you know, with the kendo stick and like, he wouldn't even flinch. And it, like, they were building that whole narrative of he's like unstoppable. And then you do one concerto and he doesn't kick out of it. And it's like, oh man, like you could have had that spot where he does a concerto. You think it's over and Balor kicks out just to have edge. Like you mentioned, go full crazy psycho mode and just remember that they hit they hit Beth with the concerto. Just remember that and make him do it like three, four times. Then you do the three count. It, 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 you just said it perfectly because we saw him last night on SmackDown. It's like nothing happened with Finn. It's like, ah, like you got to make Finn maybe write him off TV for a bit. Maybe have him come back for the money in the bank. Maybe he wins it. I don't know. Like you got to build Finn at this point in time because he's getting older. He's already in his 40s and his. Let's just be honest, Alino. His WWE resume is not what we expected it to be. We thought it would be a lot more impressive. So, I mean, I did think Edge getting the win was the right call overall. But I thought, you know, the Demon should have had a little bit more of a strong, dominant performance. But, hey, the man, then we had the main event. Roman Reigns versus Cody Rhodes in what felt probably like one of the bigger, more meaningful main events in a long time. And... You know, you're building Cody Rhodes as this mega baby face. He won the Royal Rumble where everybody wanted Sami Zayn to win it. They still made it work with Sami winning the tag titles. And, you know, you have Solo Sokoa come out with Roman Reigns. No Usos involved. None of that. And you just think, 
maybe Cody's going to do it here. Maybe he's finally going to win the titles. We saw during the match the Usos did come out at one point just to have Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn come out, hit both of their finishers on Roman, but hey, that wasn't enough either to get him down. And Alino, was this the right call to have Roman Reigns retain and keep his have his reign go a thousand days? Because if you look at the internet and you look at everything that's happened on Twitter, people were losing their minds saying that Cody, this was his moment. This is where you build a star. I think they did it perfectly here. I think Roman Reigns retaining was the absolute like swerve that WWE needed to make. Yeah, I think they also looked at the days too. If this was like 721 days, I think Cody would have won. But I think now that they're at this mark here, it's only 60 more to get to 1,000. I think they're like, you know what? Screw it. Just carry it over to 1,000. Like I think that's what factored into it a little bit more. And I'm kind of surprised that just you're expecting something to happen like after this where fans will make sense of why Roman beat Cody after they just built him up as his big baby face and it worked actually for them, which it hasn't in the past. So like you're expecting the rock to maybe come out and uh, just stay on the ramps, do stare down, like do something and end the show with them two looking at each other, but they didn't really do anything like Roman just celebrated. They showed the highlight pack. And I think that kind of took away from the overall feeling of the event. So like Cody, I don't know what they're gonna do. I know he's taking on Brock, but like I don't. That's not gonna be a long term thing. They're gonna probably have like a ten minute match. Cody's gonna win. It's gonna probably get cut open, like when John Cena and Brock went at it. And we'll probably see Cody at Money in the Bank take on Roman or SummerSlam, whatever the two. And I think that's when they'll probably give him the win. So I think Cody's title win just got extended or uh, put on hold for a few more months. You know what, man? Like, I look at this match as a whole. Like, I'm looking at the timer, dude. This match was 34 minutes long. That's long. And the fact that these two put on the amount of near falls, the amount of finishers, the amount of involvement in the match. You have Solo Sokoa get ejected just to come back and cost them. But, man, there were times where when – I remember at the end when Cody hit, I think it was two in a row – I'm like, dude, you just got to pin him. And when he brought him up for the third one, I'm like, ah, this is where it's, it's where it backfires and it backfired and Roman got the win. And you know what? I thought when Roman got the win and, and you know, he counted the three, there wasn't that many boos. I mean, there were boos, but it wasn't like Roman Reigns beating Triple H at 32 and everybody was just booing the shit out of that. So I thought still, I know everybody wanted to see The Rock either cost him or come out after the fact, but I just think that's how much, man, they love Cody Rhodes. I think they didn't want it to, um, you know, take away from Cody. Like, I don't think they wanted any attention getting away from Cody in this moment. I mean, we saw after the match, we saw that perfect shot of him, you know, saying, I'm sorry, like, I came up short. I think that only builds his baby face run, and you said it perfectly, Alino. I think this has only been put on hold. I think at SummerSlam, we're going to see Cody versus Roman Reigns part two, and we're probably going to see Jey Uso probably either cost them or maybe The Rock comes out and costs them because Roman Reigns is bigger than the titles now. I, we all know this. He doesn't even perform on Raw or SmackDown anymore. I think at this point in time, you could have Roman versus The Rock in a singles match, and everyone will be happy with that. Or you could have Jey versus Roman in a singles match, and everyone will be happy with that. So... 
Roman doesn't need the titles, man. He's bigger than that. He's been freaking holding it for three years. So Cody Rhodes, I know uh, now I got to quickly talk about Brock's heel turn and then we can end it here. But dude, Brock Lesnar turns heel on Raw. You know, it's bullshit because Roman hasn't performed on Raw in so many years. I'm like, okay, we're just going to be one of the biggest tag matches. Just have Brock Lesnar F5 Cody and beat the shit out of him. Oh, you know, at this point in time with Brock Lesnar's character now, do you have Paul Heyman aligned with him, or do you think this is more of a destructive individual Lesnar here, just to put Cody Rhodes over like he did with John Cena in 2012? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't, like, I think with Brock, like, it's kind of disappointing. Like, fans love him as his baby face, and he looks like he's enjoying it when he's out there, and now when he's a heel, like, they're going to be, like, forcing the role on him, and it's going to be, like, before, so... I hope it's just a short-term thing where he uh, goes after Cody and maybe just says, like, you know what, I see this guy backstage, and ever since he came here, I just don't fucking like him. Like, I'll put my rivalry <laughs> with Roman aside. I just don't fucking like the guy. I think that's how they can build it up where Brock's, like, not known to be a people person. So I think it would keep him as a face afterwards just for this program of heel. Maybe you have Paul Heyman align with him for now, and then Brock gets his revenge on Paul Heyman once he loses. To Cody and he finally have fives them to put that whole thing to rest because he never really got him back. He put him through the table last year at SummerSlam, but I think Brock like just gives him another one just to say, okay, you're taking this F five now for this is uh for last year for helping those guys win. So I think there's a way out of it because I think Brock versus Gunther seems to be the direction for next year, and I don't think it would work if Brock's a heel. Like I think you need Brock to be that big baby face and. Gunther to be that dominant heel for it to really be meaningful for Gunther's career. Oh, absolutely. I agree with you. I mean, it looks like it was going to happen at SummerSlam, I thought, but probably better for next year's WrestleMania. Just you could do the long-term build of, we look back at the Royal Rumble that just passed and that stare down and, you know, Gunther did basically get the best of him. You know, Brock Lesnar didn't last too long in the Rumble at all. So um, that was a surprise factor for sure. Um, but I'll, you know, we, you know, a lot of people after the raw, they talk about, oh, you know, Cody Rhodes is face run. They're trying to force it down like John Cena in 2012. I get why people are saying that just because again, he loses in the main event at WrestleMania against the rock, losing the main event against Roman Reigns. The next night you have Brock Lesnar basically eat him alive. Do you think this is the right call? Like long-term wise, because I feel like Cody Rhodes doesn't have to beat Brock Lesnar to have that recognition because everyone's saying, Oh, they're just having Brock Lesnar beat Cody Rhodes. I don't see Brock winning this at all. Yeah. I'd be surprised if Brock wins it. I think this is just going to be for like, I don't know when they're going to have it. Like, will it be a backlash? Like, I don't know if they'll do that. If it is like, it might be too soon for them because like, Saudi Arabia pays a lot more money. Like, they pay $50 million for these shows. I think Brock's not missing that payday. So, I think if he has a choice, he'll go to the Saudi Arabia King and Queen of the Ring event. And they can build, like, uh, Backlash, maybe do Solo versus Cody. And uh, he gets Solo, and then the next month he gets Brock. And that will be, like, a number one contender for him to go to Money in the Bank. But... I think they should keep it for uh, the King and Queen of the Ring event. I think it would be a good two-month build for them, and it would probably help Cody get a win over Solo and not go in with like that loss at WrestleMania. 
Yeah, I just think now with Cody losing at Mania, you have to just have him win matches, man, like left and right. Like if this guy starts losing, his his whole run is going to kind of feel diminished when he wins the title. So I think he needs to start going on a dominant run like Sheamus did back in 2012 where he was just basically beating everybody. I think it's fine, though, because, you know, you talk about baby faces that couldn't get over with the crowd. I thought Cody Rhodes would be that guy, specifically with Sami Zayn being as hot as he was but man i don't know how like they made it work with cody rhodes like he's he's probably more over now than Sami Zayn. like they're probably both the top faces on on in wwe no doubt about it but like it's it's just it's confusing to me just to see him go up against brock lesnar I, I don't know what the big payoff is for for brock lesnar like is this guy just gonna lose to all these guys now like is this is this a point in Brock's career where he's putting people over, like he's going to put Cody over, he's going to put Gunther over. Cause I've never seen Brock as that guy, man. Like I just, I don't see him losing to Cody. Honestly, I don't, but you got to wait and see. Cause Cody Rhodes, man, he is a megastar now. He He's proven it. I think that was a five-star match. I don't care what anyone says about, Oh, that we, they left WrestleMania on a bad, on a down. And it, that match was freaking phenomenal. That match was definitely unreal. Roman Reigns and Cody Rhodes prove that they can definitely main event. And Roman Reigns needs some fucking time off, man. Like, give the belt to Cody because this guy needs at least two, three months off. Yeah, I agree with you there. And it's something where I think it's going to benefit, like, I guess Cody, him and Brock would probably be main eventing that event. I don't think it will main event uh, backlash. Like, I think might as well not even have, like, Cody face Brock there because, like, you have Bad Bunny already, like, make that the main event those fans are going to be going crazy and they're probably there to see like bad bunny re mysterio like they'll probably be more invested in that match so i think you can do cody versus solo and then after the next month brock and cody and uh i think you have to give them something like when roman eventually takes time off i don't see him working like the september uh event i don't see him working october i think survivor series when he comes back after SummerSlam. so might as well like whoever is going up against them, then I think he should lose a title by SummerSlam. Absolutely. And you know what, man? Like, the draft is in two weeks. We'll quickly talk about that before we end it. Do you see any big-time guy moving, like a champion, maybe moving to another brand? I think we could see Austin Theory and Gunther maybe switch. But I feel like Gunther on SmackDown would still be the beneficial thing. But, you know, they said that it involves every single superstar on the roster – do you see a guy like Roman Reigns pinning to one show, or do you think he's just too big to be on one show? I hope this means that they'll uh, introduce a new world title. Like, they split the titles up, and this is their way of doing it. So, like, let's say Seth wins the world title on Raw. You can still have Cody go against Roman, and whoever's on the Raw brand, uh, you can do, like, that world title scene. So... I just hope that's what they do because, like, the two titles, like, it hasn't worked. Like, everybody could see that when they were doing it last year. Like, it wasn't going to be a thing that would work long term. And it's just shown with uh, how they booked everything around Roman and some of the matches coming out after it. Like, when you're on Raw and there's not a world title, but the U.S. title's there. Like, they tried to do it Bobby, Seth, and uh, Austin Theory. But, like, you only do that so much before it's like, okay, what's the top program here? And, like give each show their main event scene. And I think it would be beneficial kind of like what we saw at the first draft when 
they did it early in the t- 2002 and then again in like 2016. So I think they should do that again. Yeah, I agree, man. I, I think this is a, a big opportunity for WWE to do it right with the draft. And I don't know if it's appropriate at this point in time to just be like, yeah, uh, Roman, you have to vacate one because there's the draft. But maybe you can have Roman like you could do a segment on that. You can have him be frustrated and then you can have Triple H go in the back and say, yeah, well, hey, man, like, I guess tonight you're going to take on Seth Rollins for the title on Raw. And then you could see Seth Rollins win and and take the title off him. And then that's how you kind of build, um, the like, basically the, the 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 downfall of Roman Reigns as a, as a, as a champion. But I do think Jey Uso is the likely option if it's not Cody Rhodes because you got to go full circle with that. And if there's one guy that's deserved of that main event spot, it is Jey Uso, no doubt about it. So... But with that being said, man, we're done here. This was a long podcast. Talked about WrestleMania. It was one of my favorites in the last decade for sure. Uh, I thought the show was spectacular. I thought everybody involved did their job very well. Shout out to freaking Rhea Ripley, who I thought, again, probably the biggest star coming out of the show. If it wasn't for her, I'd still say Cody Rhodes coming out of this as an absolute star. But we talked about the play-in. There's a lot of storylines with the NBA. Everyone wants to see John Morant get bounced. And, uh, of course, everyone wants to see Sid the Kid make the playoffs one more time. So, with that being said, this is Chris Martelli, Giancarlo Alino in the zone, signing out as always.